Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Derek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. Uh, And we've had some great guests on. We just had Scott Lynch, uh, another great fantasy author, on last week. Um, So please do check out the back catalogue. They're bound to be some authors or screenwriters or comic writers that you're interested in hearing from. So please do that if this is your first time joining us. And we'll get on to this week's guest in a moment. But before we do, Tarek, I wanted to mention something that I've not had a chance to mention because we had the industry episodes which had a pre-recorded intro and outro. That was a nice few weeks off. (laughs) It was. (laughs) But um, unfortunately, uh, during that, or fortunately during that time, you of course, were nominated for the Bloody Scotland Crime Debut of the Year and you only only went and bloody won it. I know, absolutely. I mean, it was an incredible list, shortlist that, that, that were through to, to the final five and uh, I didn't, didn't think I thought I had any chance of actually winning it. So it was fantastic. It was, yeah, always very nice to get to get nominated, but to actually win it was just, was just wonderful. Yeah, well, as you say, it was a great shortlist you were up against. I've read some of the other books that you were up against. And, you know, um, always, as we've spoken to many guests on the podcast, brilliant to get that sort of recognition, I guess, from from the yeah. industry. And it's, it's, I mean, the crime, I don't know about the other parts of the industry, but the crime writing side of it is, it's such a nice industry. Everyone's so nice and friendly. Everyone's really supportive. And you never feel that like you're kind of pushing folk out the way. Everyone's always happy to kind of help build everyone else up. And it's a really nice supportive kind of atmosphere which is which is wonderful yeah so if you haven't read Tarek's book welcome to cooper his award-winning book then highly recommend you do that but enough enough publicity for you Tarek. <laughs> let's let's get on to this week's brilliant guest and we're staying in the world of fantasy of course yeah this week we're chatting with richard swan who as marco says is another fantasy author um his fantasy books begin with the justice of kings uh, and run on to the Tyranny of Faith, which is out next year, and uh, Children of the Empire the year after that. And they're a really fantastic series of books. The first one is, Mark, you've read it, and it's absolutely Yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. It's it's very sort of grounded fantasy with, and it draws on Richard's experience as a litigator because, this, you know, the, the, the guy is a, a sort of justice, a kind of um, Similar, I suppose, to sort of a Judge Dredd. You know, he's walking about giving out the judgments. I mean, um, Judge Dredd in a fantasy world, that's like your perfect book right there. Yeah, it is. It's true. It's true. He's a, he's a bit nicer than Judge Dredd, I have to say. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, it's a really good book. But also, it was really interesting speaking to Richard about, you know, how he came to, to get this published because it was very much marketed as a debut. But in fact, mm. um, he'd written a number of other books before it, including self-publishing some quite successfully. Um, before this one came out. So it was really interesting just hearing about the approach that publishers take to that and also seeing that, you know, often people are sort of scared off of self-publishing um, yeah. because it's sort of like you've got one chance to be a debut, but yeah. clearly that's yeah. not the case. Yeah, totally. Yeah, people are, I've often read that, that people are scared because if you do that, you blow your chance. But, but obviously for him, 
it's all to do with the marketing and yeah and i guess maybe going from a sci-fi to a fantasy kind of genre maybe that move helps kind of market him as a fresh voice or whatever but it's yeah, it's a really interesting chat with someone who's kind of done it both ways and uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun yeah so uh, we'll get straight into it after another advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest but for now on with the podcast the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head so how to overcome that fear well we all know the best advice for a writer is write seriously Get words on the page and more will fall. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. I always start the podcast with the same question, which is, did you always want to be a writer? Because I know you, like us, um, work in the law during uh, mm. your day job. So uh, the writing hours, yeah. always an ambition of yours. My writing certainly preceded my legal career by uh, many, many years. Um, I started writing when I was about, uh, well, I probably started writing when I was a young child, but the first time I remember sitting down and writing in a, in a sort of deliberate way with the intention of turning out something long form was when I was about 12 or 13. I was um, ambling through the school corridors and uh, we had a we had a computer room full of, you know, 10 or 20 sort of those big desktops. And I decided I was going to, I remember the thought very vividly because it was a very simple thought and it was, oh, I'm going to write a story. Um, and at the time I had, I must've been about, yeah, so 13. So I had lots of um, the Halo computer game um, knocking around in my head and uh, Star Wars prequels, which I loved, kind of rattling around there. And, mm-hmm. you know, a few other bits and pieces of, of sort of sci- sci-fi as, as it was current then. And I um, I wrote an extremely derivative um, piece of science fiction, which felt like writing a novel at the time. Um, but it was, a, <laughs> I still have it. It's only about 20,000 words. Um, and that, but that's a trilogy. So each book is probably you know, even less than that, eight or nine thousand um, <laughs> words. So there really are short stories, but they felt like a novel at the time. 
and uh, that was my you know that became very that consumed me it became very much my kind of my everything for a year or so um and from there i just sort of carried on really I, it was always just on to the next one after that and it became um it became very normal for me to uh, write what did eventually become actual novels um you know sort of a couple of years later i think is when i was about uh, in my sixth form so you know 1718 is when i f- finished my first actual novel length piece and that was um again that was sci-fi and that was a, a sort of a space opera and it was about 100 136 140,000 words so that was you know and i was doing that in and amongst you know yeah. exams and a-, a levels and things um uh spending far too much time on it actually i should have been focusing on my exams more but the um <laughs> the uh that interestingly that that book sort of became the blueprint for how i approached fiction writing genuinely ever since i mean we're talking 15 or so years ago now i'm 33 now so that was when i was about 18 so um and you know that structure that that word count the the kind of the story structure you know sort of classic three-act structure and the multiple kind of third person point of view which of course justice kings is not but you know lots of mm-hmm. books that i wrote subsequent to that were that you know sort of more classic kind of multiple third person pov novels and i and i really did use that as a blueprint for a long time afterwards um and i just kept writing and so when i started my legal career as a litigator uh, in in London, um, in you know, twenty middle of twenty tens, I um, I just carried on with it, um, and I was just it just became a hobby, and and people were like, Mike, what do you do? you know you write a book a year? What are you talking about? And it's one of those things that sounds quite jarringly impressive when you sort of tell it to people, but of course for me it wasn't it wasn't. I mean, it's you mean you know you, you're both writers, you know, it's a lot of it's just grind at the end of the day. Um, it's just persistence, and I think it had just become something that I did. But what, mm-hmm. you know, when I look back at it, I think, oh God, I actually wrote about, I think Justice of Kings is about my 19th novel length piece that I'd written over wow. the years. Wow. Um, many of those, you know, just terrible trunked books, but um, all important experience, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and so that was, that was kind of it. And, and the Justice of Kings, which of course got picked up by Orbit, was was just another one. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was just another one in a long line of, of novels that I've been writing for... Um, you know, for a long time, it, it it just you know it was a habit, it was a hobby, it was just you know I guess part of my well, identity is a bit of a lame way of putting it, but that's kind of you know what it was. It was just yeah. a thing that I did. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it all started, really. Just a decision one day to write, and then it just it just carried on from there. I mean, I mean, getting into a habit of writing is mm. quite an important thing to do, isn't it? Because a lot Absolutely. of people, especially when they're sort of starting out, want wait for that inspiration to hit them and mm. sort of can put it off and say oh not feeling it today i'll i'll, I'll uh, that's right i'll wait mm. and i'm sure it'll hit me tomorrow or whatever mm. and that's the way you're sure never to finish a novel length yeah piece, exactly think. right i think a friend said to me recently um it's supposed to supposedly stephen king i don't know whether it's apocryphal or not but it was um the muse will find you but she better find you working <laughs> and I thought um, that was such a brilliant turn of phrase, um, yeah. and that's that's absolutely right, you know. And um, I I heard an old, you know, the old writing wisdom that I heard um, was, you know, you, 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 I can't remember who said it, probably dozens of different writers over the years, but it was um, you have to write a million words, the first million words of practice, or you know, you've got to write a million words before you turn out anything decent, or blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. And I, it was interesting because I did a little after justice got picked up i did a little kind of write, writing retrospective which i meant to sort of publish on my blog but never got around to so it's sort of sitting there somewhere 
and it was it was an exercise, absolutely an exercise in self indulgence. It's only really interesting to me, but it was um, it charted the, the books that I'd written, broken down by kind of fate, what I would like think of as phases of my writing, you know, quote open quote career close quote, mm. um, and it uh, set out the you know, the word counts and the sort of cumulative word count. And interestingly, it was it was almost exactly a million words that I'd written before Justice was purchased, and I. When I was, um, I was about, oh, in my mid-twenties, I started self-publishing a few science fiction pieces um, on Kindle, which I, you know, the apparatus was was becoming pretty advanced at that point. I think it had only been a thing or so for five or six years before I uh-huh. found out about it. And um, so I started self-publishing a few bits and pieces. And um, I uh, that, that, that fiction, I don't think is a million miles away in terms of quality from Justice of Kings. I wouldn't write it exactly the same way now, but when I read it back, which is quite rarely, um, I think, yeah, this is fine. I, you know, this is, this is pretty good. And, and, um, it's, it's not, it's not so far away from my current standard. Mm-hmm. And that was about half, that was about half. So by when I started doing that, I'd, I'd have written about half a million words at that time. And so then that took up the sort of the intervening, you know, half a million words before I, got justice published and i went back to it because when orbit bought justice of kings i thought oh i don't know if i want these kind of legacy self-published books kind of you know out and about because if people go through my back catalog and they find them and they think it's not really up to scratch i might just you know swear off richard swan as an author and so i kind of went back to them with with an eye toward you re-editing them and, and re kind of Doing them, and, I, and apart from kind of changing the beginning of the first book and kind of taking out quite a, quite a few sex scenes, I don't know why it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what I was thinking <laughs> with the first book, but there were um, there were a good kind of three or four, and they were right utterly extraneous. They added nothing at all to the plot, and I thought these can probably come out. Um, and so I, you know, I deleted those. But apart from those, you know, good. But um, yeah, there's those edits. I didn't change anything. I thought the standard is okay. And so for me, I think it was about the half million um, words where I kind of what I would consider where I hit my um, just sort of default narrative voice yeah. when I when I start writing. I kind of write the same voice now, almost irrespective of what I turn out. Um, and that kind of came at the, the half million word mark. So for me, it was that. Um, Christ, I can't remember what your original question was, and this is a classic thing I do in interviews where I talk yeah, and talk it, and talk and talk. It was just about, it was just about the, that, that idea of you know getting into the habit of writing is so vital That's if you actually want yes. to turn something. Exactly out. that, and it, and it is you know it is a numbers game, and I and I, I said to some someone else the other day like you wouldn't pick up a trumpet and expect to be able to play it, yeah, you know straight away. You know it, yeah. you do have to just put in the hours and the days and the weeks, and and writing long form is one of those you know, like many things, if you want to get good at it, you have to invest a lot of time and you do just have to, you do just have to write and you do just have to get the words down on the page and and a classic, um, I've had friends writing over the years and they kind of, they open the blank page and they agonise over the the sentences and you've just, you've just got to get the words down and and keep moving on. Um, And that was my experience of of the, the process over the years. Yeah. And I mean, I, I like to ask you a bit about those first books um, that you mm. put out yourself, um, and that was the Art of War trilogy, yes. right? Is that the space opera? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that yes. So, so that, so, so those are the books that you put out yourself, um, mm-hmm. the self-published route. Yes. And I wondered what was it about, you know, because you said you'd written, you know, eighteen, nineteen books. 
before mm. Justice of Kings comes out. So what was it about the Art of War books that made you think these are ready to be shared with people? You know, what was it about them? That's interesting. I, I, I taken, I taken before Reclamation, which was the the first book in that trilogy. I'd taken a couple of years off. I'd actually spent a few years at Ernst Young as an advisory, like a corporate management consultant, um, and that was a, a it was a pretty intense job, and it, it was quite long hours. And I'd, I'd kind of, I felt like I'd hit a point with my writing. Oh, I tell you what had happened. I, um, so, yeah, one of the phases, if I can use that horrible self-indulgent word, is um, that I had when I was writing, especially when I was starting university and, and throughout the three years I was at university was um they had you know, black library which is the, the publishing arm of games workshop they you know write warhammer mm-hmm. novels and things yeah. like that mm-hmm. and they used to have forums on um on, on the internet and uh they but they had a they had official forums and one of them was an official fan fiction forum i stumbled across it completely by chance uh one day and i started writing black library fan fiction and i did it for three years and i was utterly prolific i would i would turn out i turned out about five novels worth of, of fiction on that forum and wow. and i always forget about this kind of time in my writing career because it's because in the closer forums and and then it killed my enthusiasm for writing for a, a good sort of year or two mm-hmm. and what it was was it was kind of like it was a bit like a workshop you know you uh, i don't I haven't been on any other fan fiction forums before or since so i don't know wh- whether it was sort of representative of the broad format but you would you would post a chapter within a forum post and people would post comments on it underneath and you know and it would all kind of stack up and it was really and there were some really talented writers on there um and i don't think any of them have kind of kept up with it and this was you know this is 10 10 12 13 years ago um but uh, and once the official forum sort of died off that community basically disbanded and and that was the end of it but i i had i had built up such a readership on that platform um, and then it went away. And I, what what happened was, in answer to your question, I, I I liked having an audience for my writing, whereas before it had all been for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and now I was writing for people, and people were enjoying it, and I was getting that kind of you know feedback, which was which was wonderful. And so I thought, I don't want to go back to just writing for myself. I can't. I've tasted the you know I've tasted the audience, <laughs> sweet elixir of the audience. And um, and I had a few abortive attempts at um, starting a kind of space opera up again. And I think one day I just started running with reclamation and I finished it and I finished it. But I but what I had done with it was um, I had written a space opera and I don't know why I got this into my head, but it was I had this thought that basically it was too generic to be published. It was too it was too a kind of it was just a kind of pre run of the mill space opera, and I probably think that's that's still broadly true. I think it is. I don't think it's doing anything interesting or new with the genre. I think it's well, I think it's a good book, but it's not groundbreaking in yeah, any yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I got this. I was. I said, well, I'm not going to kind of try and get this properly published, which remains, you know, the ultimate dream. Um, and I and I found out about self self publishing it and so it, it was just a kind of marriage of circumstance really I, I, it wasn't that i necessarily thought this is the this is the book i'm ready yeah. to kind of take to to market because um because i'd already effectively been doing that on the on the fan fiction forums and and putting my writing out there and getting the good feedback on it so i kind of knew that it had a basic level of of quality already um and and that was it was as i say it was just a marriage of circumstance and then i kind of really got into the Oh wow, you know, and I could hire my own proofreader, and I could get my own cover art, and I kind of got ra- completely wrapped up in the excitement of sort of doing all of that and putting out a product. And I was, I was quite lucky actually. The the art of War trilogy did actually fairly well, considering I did zero 
marketing efforts at all. I couldn't be bothered with that side of it in the slightest. Um, and but the wonderful thing is now, of course, it and it it completely died for about oh two or three years, I think. And then now, of course, just as the Kings has published, people are getting back into my back catalog. Yeah. So suddenly, I'm yeah. getting you yeah. know a couple of hundred quid in my bank account every month as people kind of you know go through these old. Um, and that's good because it's self-published, so you're getting more more money exactly. out of that. Yeah, it's yeah, all sunk yeah. costs. So yeah, it's only five percent on the you know seventy five p in the pound. So um, yeah, it's 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 basically free money. You know that that I would have written those books anyway, and they're just yeah. existing in a in a word file now. So um, there's no maintenance cost or anything. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's quite nice. Yeah, excellent. And obviously, you made that move then eventually. I don't know in that 19 book series whether there was other <laughs> fantasy books, but you moved from sci-fi to fantasy. Um, yeah. You know, why Why? Why did you want to make that? Good move? question. Yeah, I don't... So it's, it's my first fantasy book, uh, Justice of Kings, and um, I. it wasn't that I did, was thinking about making a deliberate move away so much as I just I just had an idea that I wanted to write. Um mm. And, you know, if I had always preferred sci-fi, reading and writing it. Um, and that's probably still largely true, you know, if I'm honest. Um, you know, I, I love you know, the Empire of the Wolf trilogy and, I'll, you know, for as long as Orbit will have me, I'll keep writing fantasy books yeah. for them. But, um, you know, the plan is at some point to do more sci-fi, either, you know, through Orbit or whoever you know, whoever else will take it or self-publish because the apparatus for that is, is very mature now. Um, but, uh, it, uh, it was, it was, I was in an expo, uh, in the, in the South, I want to say Southwest of England for, um, that sort of really dreary February weekend. And, um, it was this very striking kind of bleak landscape. And I wrote the, the Witch of Rill, which was the first chapter of Justice of Kings. Um, which actually the first two chapters that got split in one of the edits, but, um, what was in the first chapter and it was a short story and um and it was very much inspired by the the setting that i was in and the you know the cold wintry weather and i'd had this idea for a kind of traveling magistrate for a little while ha- having read robert harris's sister trilogy mm-hmm. and a few other bits and pieces in that vein of you know, the witcher video game and um oh, something like eisenhorn i think it was um and so i had these ideas and i and i read this short story and i pitched it well a friend of mine was going absolutely gangbusters on short stories at the time and i think he still writes them now um and he was like oh you can you should submit it to these markets and one thing was called podcastle and there was um a few others anyway and i submitted it and it got rejected of course um which was you know great for, for me in the long run um but I was pretty annoyed at the time. And uh, yeah, and so it just kind of, and I, but I liked it. I liked the idea. I liked what I'd written. I liked being in that world. And I um, I just kind of ran with it. I didn't have any kind of clear goal of, right well, now I'm going to make a transition away into fantasy because I've, you know, I've always loved it. And I have, you know, read fantasy over the years, usually the kind of the bigger, I'm a sort of fair weather fantasy reader. I tend to read the bigger stuff. Not, I'm trying to read my contemporaries now, but I, um, you know, haven't over the last decade yeah. or so um but it was it was really just i had the the idea for the character of on vault um and the story kind of flowed from that more than anything else um and 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 so when when that then developed out into the longer form novel uh, Mm. form for that what was it about that one that you thought you know what i'm going to try and get an agent for for this I just finished it and I just had a feeling about it that it was the best thing I'd written. And I think it, well, it is. Um, so there's that, but, um, 
I, I really liked it, and I and I have this. I have this. Have in my writing process, I'll, I'll finish a book, and then I'll kind of hate it for a little bit, um, and then I'll kind of revisit it for my. I, I had planned to self-publish it event ultimately, um, and I kind of was revisiting it for my edit, and I was going back through it, and I was like, actually, I do like this. I do think this is good. And a friend of mine, George, um, who you know he writes, he's a he's a video game narrative designer. And so he's done. He's got a lot of writing experience, and I really value his opinion. And I, um, I said, I, you know, what, what do you think of this? Um, and he said, why don't you try and get it published? Um, try for six months. Try and get an agent. And uh, if you know, if you don't, if you don't get anywhere with it, self-publishing will always be the option. That, yeah. that, that option will never go away. Um, and so I thought that was really good advice. Um, and I, I get quite lazy as well. So when it comes to um, it's 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 strange. My life has been fairly kind of, um, you know, I've worked hard over the years, but very few doors have been kind of closed to me, and it's made me quite complacent. And so, which is a very bad thing. This is a very this is a real character flaw. Um, but uh, what it's tended to mean is, um, I, I you know, I thought, oh god, I could just self-publish this. Like, am I really going to go through the kind of the time and emotional investment of? trying to get an agent and trying to get this published and I, and I want it now as well like I, yeah. I, I was too kind of you know, I want it just out and in the public and I'm sure it'll just go viral take off by itself um and there's an immediacy to self-publishing which is very you know gratifying um and traditional publication takes years, years. and, and uh-huh. you know yeah. many many you know, months and years so um anyway and and it did you know truth form it did it absolutely sailed through the whole process and harry was i think the second agent i sort of queried and he was like yeah i love it i'd love to sign you and all but preempted it about a month oh, later really? so like Fantastic. yeah yeah it was, it was you know, people hate me when i say that and i, I kind of <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is absolutely fair enough um and uh you know friends and sort of colleagues who have said oh yes I, yes this is my tennis book or I've had five years of rejections or, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And um, so I don't tend to volunteer that story. I, I tend to um, wait till someone asks me. Um, well, you've also, you know, you'd also been writing for yeah. decades, yes. you know, and you'd written yeah, like yeah. 19 books. So it wasn't like, mm. you know, I, I mean, I know, I know what, what, it's what that you're overnight saying. success. So, overnight success. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, but right. Yeah. yeah. Overnight success has come after 15, 16 years, whatever, of, of writing. No, that's right. Yeah. No, that's works, a nice, you know. Nice way of putting it. Yeah, it, it wasn't just like I, I'm 21 and I've, yeah, I've I turned on a laptop one day. And, and, yeah, yeah check, we're, we've check had some of those was... guests on as well. We, we, we hate that. <laughs> I those hate those never go up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Delete. That's, yeah, that's right. No, I, that's true. But a lot of uh, my my writing career is a bit like an iceberg. There's, as you said, there's lots. There's 15 years of yeah, hard totally. work. And lots of you know chunked books behind it, and then so so Justice of Kings did take off quickly. But I, you know, I ascribe that its success to having put the million and a half yeah. words in beforehand. Yeah, um, you know, definitely, yeah. And and when Justice of Kings came out, mm. you were almost treated like a debut author, even though you had this yes. self-published back catalogue, um, yes. which had done quite well. Mm. The the publisher obviously wants to frame. You know there is a so. there is a marketing thing about a new de- exciting mm. new debut author, and so yeah, did did they have a discussion with you about that at all? The self published stuff didn't really come up. They did. They knew they knew I had written it um, because my agent knew I'd written it because um, I told him, um, and uh, it, it formed part of the general pitch of me and my work. Yeah. To the they weren't pitching the 
self-published trilogy yeah. but they were saying you know this is a guy who's you know he's been around the houses type thing um i think there is still a there's obviously a distinction between you know self-published work and, and traditionally published work and i think you know when people think of the word publishing they tend to you know we still associate that with traditional publication and i'm not um you know obviously i've done both so i can you know speak to both but yeah. i i don't i don't denigrate you know or disparage self-published work at all i think you know in terms of quality of prose it's you know as good as anything else in the market it's um it's whether it's you know traditional publication has its own kind of view of commerciality and um you know what fits and what doesn't and um and it's it's really based on the individual preferences of, of editors and assistant editors and acquiring editors so you know there's that whole thing um but i think uh you know i always wanted to be traditionally published and there i think a big part of that is of course there's an external validation to that process um you know you've you've got this experienced kind of book people saying yes this is a this is a novel that is commercial in in, in our definition of the sense um mm. and uh, you know and this is good writing and you know well done from your know, handshake you know <laughs> you've made it you're one of us now and so there is a kind of i want to be part of that club and i want to kind of have that external validation and of course get paid you know paid very well for justice of kings so there is that too whereas my self-published work you know it probably pays well in the scheme of self-published work but of course it's i couldn't live off it it's it's yeah. you know it's, it's pennies at the end of the day um so they they pitched it as a debut and i don't think they even yeah i don't think the question of the art of war trilogy counting towards my tally of official books ever was in prospect and and i don't know if i would have really wanted it to be either like i was happy to be considered a debut um i was you know a pretty un well remain fairly unknown <laughs> um <laughs> was and remain um you know they've they've all a bit have pushed the book hard but there are still you know parts of the internet and the kind of general reader sphere that have just never heard of me in the book which is of course to be expected um and so i don't think it was a question that ever really sort of came up and i didn't push for it to be either i don't think anything will happen with those books in an official sense i think they'll just kind of continue to tick over quietly in the background yeah. um it's, uh, it's or... quite it's, it's quite nice though because i mean i've definitely read things online which is which is people and it almost seems that like they're trying to put people off going down the self-published route by saying you know oh, yeah. you mm -hmm. one chance if you go down this way yeah. you'll, you'll be turned editors will be turned off mm -hmm. by you and you'll be you know you've, you've blown your chance and, yeah. and it's nice to know that that's actually not always the case, and 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 sometimes it's, I don't, it doesn't matter. I no, I don't think that factors into the thinking at all. Um, if to be completely honest, I um I don't think an editor cares if you have a huge backlog of um, self-published work. Um, what I think is happening in the market now is there, uh, it's almost acting like a filter, like a quality mm. filter. So, God knows how many self-published books you know make it to, yeah. to market a year but it's got to be in the tens of thousands um probably maybe even more than that globally um and mo the vast majority of those will make no you know money at all that's just the nature of things because it's completely saturated but what we're seeing now i think is these kind of accretions of quality so there's like the self-published fantasy blog off and there's i think there's like, maybe there's one or two of those and there's a science fiction equivalent and and the sort of the good stuff starts rising to the top and it's an easy quick win for an acquiring editor to be like well that's already done the hard yards in terms of yeah. marketing and, and awareness which is of course you know half the battle with getting a book published i think evan winter said he put it very succinctly which was um the default state of a book is invisibility um and you know it's the the 
there have been various sort of, I say studies, not in an official sense, but it seems the only thing that sort of moves the needle on on how well a book does these days is how much it's marketed and how successfully it's marketed. And so if a publisher wants a book to be successful, it will be in a financial sense, not a critical yeah. sense necessarily. But um, And so um, I think what you are seeing now is a lot of these self-published books where they kind of form these accretions of, of, of matter are kind of almost becoming pipelines. So I know Josiah Bancroft, for example, his Tower of Babel series was originally self-published and that was an exquisitely good book. I loved the first book of that Um Sendlin Ascends, um, brilliant book, but that was self-published back in 2013, I think it was. Um, and then he kind of got through one of these competitions and then it got picked up. A Combat Codes is another one self-published and has now been picked up. And th- there are many, there are many more. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think it's, um, I mean, so in that sense, it, it can actually be, a, if you if that's what you want, it's a pathway to publishing, not, yeah. a, not yeah. a barrier, it's the opposite. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that's an issue. I think we see these, you look at a publisher and you think of it as a kind of a monolithic entity and we forget that really it's just a collection of commissioning editors, um, each with their own kind of preferences. And if they like a book, all they have to do is go to a table of other editors and convince them to spend some of the company's money on it. Um, and so, you know, and then you work with that editor, I mean, hopefully for a very long time, but um, at least for that book or that series. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an issue at all. And I think it's becoming even less of an issue as time goes yeah. on, as the lines yeah. you know become blurred. Because, you know, the great thing about um self-published stuff is it, it's it's just written to market. You know, it's it, that's why we're seeing new genres like appearing all, you know, lit RPG and Yeah. You know, other stuff that a traditional publisher would probably never publish, but they still yeah. sell really well, right? Yeah, so it's it obviously like a you know, there's a big market for this stuff and the yeah. traditional publishers can't keep up with it. And yeah. and then and there's definitely uh you know publishers often go on about wanting new new ideas and stuff but in fact the the truth is they they don't they a lot of the time no. they want something they've seen before just done in a slightly Absolutely. different light or yeah. something like that yeah. oh of course Where, yeah, whereas yeah. self-publishing does give the opportunity for new types of stories new new genres Absolutely. Say, to to, to yeah emerge. yeah well they so the the phrase i heard was familiar but different and i mm-hmm. And when I wrote, um, you know, read Justice Kings, and I think, you know, obviously I'm, I love Justice Kings. I think it's a good book, um, but it's, and it brings exactly what you said. It's a familiar landscape, you know, that you wouldn't read the Justice of Kings and any genre savvy, you know, genre um, mm-hmm. fantasy reader is not, is not going to be out of their trouble by any aspect of, of the yeah. novel. It's, you know, it's pretty by the numbers fantasy, but the, obviously the legal slant on it is what makes it kind of slightly unique and interesting. Um and that's exactly the kind of thing that a traditional publishing house looks for. They don't want someone to sort of come in and completely reinvent the wheel in a kind of utterly alien secondary world. They want, you know, generally speaking, good quality, but more of the same. And yeah. um, and that's exactly what they get, and that's exactly what they publish. And you're completely right. And so you, when you see these slightly disruptive books, it tends to be because someone has written like a fairly esoteric novel, and it's just caught the imagination yeah. and then it's and it's taken off by itself and then the publishers just swoop it and they kind of yeah, hungrily kind of <laughs> they take it on <laughs> oh good and i think sendlin the Sends was like that you know sendlin the Sends, uh which has got to be one of my favorite books i've read in recent memory um is not say is a is a beautifully beautifully written book it's a it's bizarre it's a kind of uns- i don't know if either of you have read it do you know, no, this, do you know the book i'm talking it. about no, no i've not read it 
it's it's a book by an American guy called Josiah Bancroft, and it was self-published years ago, and Orbit picked it up, and it turned into a four-book series. And um, what happened was he entered it into this competition. It's called a self-published fantasy blog-off, which is essentially like, I'm not entirely sure how it works, but I think you do like a blog tour and different blogs read and, and rate and judge books. And then it's, you know, they kind of yeah. thought it's a bit like the world cup, they fall away and then eventually one wins. And I think it either won that or it came second, but all it picks up. And it's a book about um, Tower of Babel and a guy he's is, and it's, 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 did you ever see the, the movie, the cell? Um, yes. Where uh-huh. they, where they go into the psychopaths. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's got that kind of really sort of, unsettling liminal difficult to place vibe to it i think it's i think it's utterly brilliant i thought it's just a genuinely really good book um but it's not a it's not a typical you know big five you know publish novel and and but it became one because it had that independent success and so i completely agree with you i think occasionally someone will just you know, write something that they actually want to write and it's kind of weird and wacky but actually it's really good um and so we can kind of kind of the lava this is the lava tube it kind of yeah. worms its way into yeah. the mainstream slowly but it gets there at the end and i suppose it almost kind of stuff like that kind of must open up doors for traditional published authors because it, if it makes it nor- normalizes this kind of new avenue then it opens exactly floodgates for other folk to come in so you, you almost yeah. need that kind of self-pubbed ground grassroots kind of... you'll see as well um the reverse happening so you know, uh, it's now self, you know, traditionally published authors yeah. might do a, a novella or, yeah, yeah, or totally. you know a short story or something just and publish that themselves because yeah. you know ultimately um, you you do lose a lot of money, um, not lose in the traditional, but you know there's a lot of people yeah, in yeah. the traditional publishing are taking a lot of cuts out of you know the the, the property yeah. and so you know the, with the 75 percent royalties on amazon you would you only have to sell a you know 10th or a 50th of the number to make the same volume of money so yeah. it's becoming i think it's becoming increasingly popular and it will become and it will continue to become uh popular for authors who perhaps um you know want to write in a separate genre for example um and they've established themselves and they made a bit of a name and you think right well i've got enough of a name and a presence now that i might start to yeah self-published a few things and and chris buhlman who did um black tongue thief yeah. which i haven't read but that was obviously i think that was maybe it was galance or maybe it was tour i can't remember who published that but um his the book of his that i have read between two fires which again is just utterly fantastic novel um was self-published by him um and his black tongue thief book is now pulling people into his back catalogue and people are reading mm-hmm. you know, between two fires which is a brilliant book and so he'll probably be in, in absolute terms he'll probably make more money off yeah between two fires you know yeah. which is sort of bizarre. this should be the wrong way around but um so yeah i think the reverse is happening as well you, you've got you sort of you people it's they say it's hybrid now don't they hybrid publishing yeah, is, yeah, you, yeah. you do a little bit of self and you do a little bit of crad i mean it's um of course, it's the trad is the one that remains difficult. It's the only one that's got a barrier to entry, right? So yeah. it's it's the sort of it's not quite parity, but it's it's a, it's a becoming more of a thing. Yeah, and obviously, Justice for Justice for Kings was um, a huge smash hit. You know, and became entered the Sunday Times bestseller yeah. list and stuff. That's I mean, right. Yeah. Did yeah. you did you expect that? What was what was your reaction when that happened? It was what it was a wonderful surprise and and you know there was um 
various things made that happen. Um, obviously, like you know, a lot of people bought it, but the um, it's number one. Uh, but uh, they, what they, I remember having a conversation. I was with my editor and my agent for um, lunch in out in London on the on the old corporate account, which is when I realised I made <laughs> it. I just sort of had to sit back from it and I think this is it. This we did it. Fifteen year old Richard. This is where we. This is where we wanted to be. Um, and uh, we were talking and um, Goldsboro um, books did a, a special edition of the novel uh, for their subscription. Um, and the, I remember my editor, they very briefly, it didn't come, didn't happen, but they very briefly flirted with the idea of an embargo because what tends to happen with traditional published books, so I'm led to believe, is um, often they start getting sold a week or two ahead of the release, official release date. Um and it's just, just kind of like you know sort of bleed and, they, and but what they can do which is apparently a bit of overkill is um they can embargo sales and they tend to do that for like the, the really big books not yeah. for a, a debut published like this but yeah. um and so what you then get is a glut of sales in, sure. in week okay. one which yeah. kind of you know artificially inflates the kind of week one sales uh, they didn't do that in the end but they were flirting with the idea because they said all oh, the goldsboro is um is, is book scan which means you know obviously only certain books get counted when they get sold but book scan sort of aggregates these numbers globally and the Goldsboro counts towards book scan we might be looking at and it was February as well which is not a kind of um originally they wanted to publish it in April February is mm-hmm. a bit of the doldrums when it comes to publishing so it's a quiet month anyway but they were like you know you don't have to sell that many to get onto the uh to the Sunday Times list you know in February and and in the end it was like I say only I mean it was a wonderfully large number it was something like two and two and a half thousand I think hardbacks um mm-hmm. Which is a fantastic number, um, and my agent said, "You know, most books won't sell that number of hardbacks yeah. ever. You know, let, let alone you know the first week." So that was obviously fantastic. But it was when you think of the Sunday Times list, you think of 10, yeah, 15, uh, 20,000 yeah. books yeah, you know, being sold, yeah, 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 yeah. and so we just sort of squeaked in at number five um, with you know a few. So there was a few kind of factors that kind of worked in its favour, I think, that uh, that perhaps wouldn't have come off at another time. But it so it was a very surreal feeling, and. and it w- and it's it it's sort of it's since I have become published, it's weird because it's all so slow and everything takes weeks and months. And I think when they they bought Justice of Kings, it was um, I think it was August or September twenty twenty, and they said, "Well, we've missed the boat now for next year, so it'll be twenty twenty two, which actually turned out to be the best possible thing thanks to COVID." Um, although at the time I was pretty disappointed. Yeah. Um, and so it, I had had so long to acclimate to the idea of it being published and being a published novelist and having my book in the shelves. And, and they were obviously all bit was they were making it a big deal. They were putting some money behind it and they obviously mm-hmm. wanted it to be successful because I kind of believed in the book. Um, and so there was all that buzz. But of course, what happens is you'll get some piece of cool news like all oh, the cover art or Goldsboro going to do a special edition or blah, blah, blah. And then you think, oh, fantastic. And then you just get used to the idea over kind of two or three weeks and nothing happens for another kind of month or two or three months. And so by the time it actually comes out, this this just this bizarre anticlimactic sense. And of yeah. course, there's no, you know, there's no big party or anything. I'm just sort of sat at home at my computer on release day. So at the risk of sounding horribly ungrateful, um, it was just a bit of a kind of, oh, okay, yeah, it's, you know, another day <laughs> has, has come and gone and, and now it's kind of been released. And and of course, there had been some bleed around the edges anyway, like it was already on sale in Waterstones, I think the week before or something. So there was never there was never that single solitary yeah. point where you yeah. went, 
yes, published. Now you're published. It was it was all just the slow build up, mm-hmm. and then one day it just kind of happened. And then I think Russia invaded Ukraine on the day that the um, book came out <laughs> in the UK, and so I was like, that's oh, that's kind of that's kind of taken this taking the edge off a little bit um because everybody was of course you know just doom scrolling on the internet so um it was it was a bizarre time but yeah they got the news about the the sunday times and you know safe and i got some champagne and uh i downloaded a subscription for the times i had to do six months which kind of annoyed me a little bit so. <laughs> <laughs> clearly really wanted to screenshot the uh <laughs> the culture section um <laughs> so you know it was it was surreal and i still it doesn't when people see my Twitter bio, whatever, and it's like, you know, Sunday Times best thing or whatever, that does, I think it's cool and it looks kind of impressive to other yeah. people, but I don't feel it, obviously, you don't feel it different. It doesn't, and I kind of just don't really think about it anymore. But, um, you know, it's, and I said to Sophie, like, but now that I am a Sunday Times, it can never be taken away. You know, it's, yeah, you, absolutely. you're that forever. Like, I'll <laughs> still be saying that. On the front yeah, of every yeah. book. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They'll lead into that for sure. Like, you know, um, yeah, it was, it was obviously wonderful, but um, a sort of a weird. And you, it's you know, it's not like um, you know, when I was working in a law firm and you're surrounded by colleagues and basically you win a case or whatever, and everyone's celebrating you out for some pints afterwards. But obviously, as authors, it's a yeah, it's a one man band. Own, so yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, so there's no one to kind of you know, the Sophie's there, which is obviously great, but um, <laughs> that's it. Sorry, Terry, I was just going to no. say, do, do you think the 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 one of the reasons that justice for Ki- justice of kings um maybe made that that next step into being picked up and things like that it uh, was that you are drawing on your own it, it, obviously it's like a fantasy novel but it does have this mm-hmm. legal angle in it and that's right yeah yeah d- you know drawing presumably on your own experiences of course in a very yeah, different yeah. way um, that's right yeah, I mean, yeah i'm not wishes, sure if you yeah. behead, beheaded people when you were at <laughs> young but certainly uh, not when i was working for the firm yeah <laughs> but um <laughs> uh you know do you think some of that even subconsciously has made a difference into why this one is the one that made it for you i think so. i think any book that someone has written where they have personal knowledge or experience of the subject matter is always a more compelling read um you know it's and it's instantly it's instantly obvious when you 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 read a book it's got that kind of very similitude to it and i um i think it does it's funny people you know do reach out to me and they send me messages and things obviously it's wonderful and i really enjoy getting them saying you know really enjoyed the book and blah blah blah. but i get a lot from lawyers um but you know and i got one from a barrister last week he was like oh you know I read Justice of Kings, I you know, really enjoyed it, and I'll be thinking about it as I prepare for my cross tomorrow. And it's all it's always the other lawyers who kind of really like it and get it more than anybody else. Yeah. Um so it, it there is that. And I I actually I'm slightly horrified by the idea of lawyers reading it because of course then there's the risk that they think, well, that's not what that means, or that's yeah, that's not because I don't, I don't think I, the I don't I think I'm, I think I even slightly misuse the common law because the common law doesn't mean it's I in the in the book I say oh, it's common it's called the common law because it's common to everybody but that's yeah. not actually what the common law means in the traditional sense. <laughs> it's fantasy, it's, it's, it's yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, um, and uh, you know, there's obviously the procedure at the you know the legal the court courtroom. Yeah, you know, the end is is very reminiscent of a English and presumably Scottish um, you know court. So there you know, there is all that going on, and I think um, what I was at pains to do was not get bogged down in it a bit 
you know, too much because I think it's um, you have to strike a balance, and I think it can be it can be. I mean, you, you'll both know if you both work in the legal industry, it can be extremely tedious. In fact, the majority of it is. And um, so I was at pains not to dwell too much on things like procedure, but more yeah. in terms of the, the philosophical aspect of it, which I you know enjoy a lot more. Um, you know, it's like, it's like trying to do that in an organic way. But I think when people read that you are a litigator, you know, in my case, I, I was, I don't do it anymore, right, full time. Um, they, it almost like dials their brain in a little, it colors their thinking. And they think, okay, this guy knows who's talking about. So um, it, it preconditions them to kind of enjoy and yeah. appreciate the novel in, in a slightly more, you know, in-depth way, because they know that, I mean, I'd like to think I know what I'm talking about. But yeah. uh, um, so, yeah, I think it does lend a little bit of credibility to it for sure. And, you know, modern fantasy books nowadays, I think they're, they're almost going down a kind of more grounded feel, a kind of grim, grim, yeah. gritty, you know, less elves mm-hmm. and dragons type thing. Is that, you know, why do you think that is? Why are we moving in, down this trend? I think, so it's really interesting. You you read um, genre fiction from like the 90s and I, it's, you don't have to go that far back to really get fiction that dissociates itself from the realities of, you know, day to day in in a very significant way. So, you know, I used to love reading kind of like, you know, 90s fiction, but now I find when I read it, it's, and I don't do it very often, when I do, it's 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 really lacking the kind of ex- the examination of the human condition in a way that I would, in a, in a grounded way that I would like to read. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, a lot of the things are just ebbs and flows. And I think what, what will probably happen is in sort of five or six years, we will have a return to high fantasy. Yeah. Um, we're kind of coming at the tail end of Grimdark. And I've seen Justice of Kings described as Grimdark. And I do disagree with that categorization because not from a kind of, it annoys me perspective, but I genuinely don't think it is. I think it's um, because I think grimdark fiction is, is fiction that delights in being like really yes. horrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and it's a kind of defined as a really an absence of hope in any capacity. And very few things that are truly are actually grimdark in the way that the phrase was originally intended. Mm-hmm. I think it is, but it is dark and it is, it is grounded and it is gritty. And I think it's, um, I think a lot of fiction authors, fantasy fiction authors now are just trying to sort of allegorize a loss and i think yeah. there's a lot to i mean we're in very fertile ground for our allegory and i and and i um it's something i've traditionally shied away from in my writing but i i really kind of lent into it in in empire of the wolf trilogy um of which justice king's is, is first book um because i thought you know what is there's nothing to be gained from being you know, so sort of tepid on these things. You know, if you're going to say something, just say it. Um, yeah, because yeah, ultimately, yeah. you can't be all things to all men. And you're going to annoy, or, or not everyone's going to like it. You're going to annoy somebody. So why not actually just say the things that you want to say? And so the allegory is fairly transparent, you know, throughout the, the trilogy at, at times, which is something I've never really done before. And I think it's, you know, a lot of writers who are kind of in a similar position are probably just reacting to, you know, we've we've had some pretty turbulent, you know, mm. political, geopolitical years. Um, and I think it's people are reacting to that in a way that, you know, literature has always done. Um, you know, there's nothing new in that, but I think yeah. fantasy probably for a long time has been an escape um, for people. And now it's becoming more, 
we're actually going to use we're going to use this as a tool to to as a, and hold up a mirror to. I mean, you know. it, is, it is interesting yeah. because it comes, I suppose, at a time when there are more authoritarian figures. There is mm-hmm. more of a divide between exactly. rich and poor, and right. that is that is the, the 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 fantasy that is the traditional fantasy setting isn't it so, so yeah is quite yeah yeah um, coming full circle yeah yeah that's right and, and and you know the one of the reasons i love fantasy as a tool to do exactly that is because you can i think it's better than contemporary literature uh, as a means for allegory because you can um if you think well if a if a if you take it sort of technologically and sociologically um less developed society Excuse me. So what I did with um, the Justice of Kings was I thought, right, well, it's a kind of late medieval society with a few kind of an anachronistic qualities to it. But um, I'm going to give it this, this this very, very advanced system of common law. Like we're probably about two or three centuries removed from where it would actually have been at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's the kind of the big quirk of the the empire um, is that they have this system. And what I lo- what I love about the medieval setting and I think this kind of like less developed setting is you can really exaggerate the the allegory so you can say well yeah. you know if these if these guys can do it you know if these guys have have the idea and they're you know still making houses out of mud um you know it, it just you can really kind of lean into it in a way that you can't do so much in a, when you're writing contemporary fiction you're just you're just com- you're just commentating on on kind of you're just doing a commentary yeah whereas when you're doing it through the lens of a fantastical setting you can exaggerate the features of the things that you want to draw attention to and that's why i really like it as as a medium yeah so so what's your what's your process what's your writing style do you do you do a lot of planning or do you kind of just sit down and just pants it no i don't i i plan i plan everything fairly meticulously actually um and i always have done um, and I don't think that's going to change in the near future. Um, I, I sit, I, what I have is I've got Google keep, um, which is a, just an app and I have several kind of pinned kind of threads in that and I add ideas to it over time. Um, I'll usually have like three or four ideas by big, either novel ideas or series ideas. And then I add little bits and pieces. It could be like a flash of dialogue or a setting or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, but I kind of add them all to a word document and then, when I'm starting a, a book or a series, I'll sit down and I just open a succession of word documents. I tend to kind of like start planning and then I like, okay, and then now's the real plan. And then I start writing yeah, a real yeah. plan. And, and then well, now the now I start the real plan. And <laughs> so I get to about three or four iterations of the real plan until the real plan starts. Um, and um, it becomes actually extremely confusing. It's a very wasteful way to approach it. Um, but I literally just have numbered paragraphs. So each numbered paragraph is represents a chapter. And then I have like indented sub, paragraphs which kind of hit the beats of what needs to happen in that chapter i you know and i know i i've worked i've worked to a kind of five thousand word chapter since god knows how long ago so that's just my template now um and i just plan it out um and i'll think about it and i'll you know go for long walks and i'll think about it some more and walking is as a great way to unlock you know i I don't know some magical quality to walking um and you know it just forms over time and so what i'm doing at the moment i'm planning and i, I mean emperor of all you know has finished the book three's gone in for edits so that'll come back um in january or something so i'm planning a, i'm planning a new trilogy um which is set in the same empire but 200 years later um new story but with obviously nice you know long tail links mm-hmm. between the two 
Um, and so one of the things I've been really enjoying doing is taking the old map and updating it for two centuries later yeah. and, and kind of filling out all of the intervening history. So what I'm trying to do when I approach it is think, okay, well, when we look at a map, countries and borders are there for a reason. You know, they've, they've grown and they've collapsed and they've been merged and whatever over time for various, and a lot of them obviously just follow natural formations like rivers, but a lot of them, you know, are geopolitical and, mm -hmm. and happen in spite of those. So I'm trying to kind of develop the map in a realistic way. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, well, why is that country now that shape and size and why is this country doing this and and that process has been really good fun um and so i and so once i've created the sandbox that i'm you know with fantasy because you know you have a map with fantasy once i've created the sandbox i can then kind of fill it a bit like an inception you know they make the the yeah. architecture for them, and then you the subject fills it with their dream and <laughs> that's yeah, that's kind of what i'm doing i'm creating the sandbox and i'm going to populate so i have a i have the story all planned out um and then you know, and then I'll you know, I'll literally just sit down and write it, and I'll write it chronologically. I'll you know I'll do two thousand words a day. Um, so I, I I write three days a week, Wednesday, Thursday, Fridays. The other two days I have my young boys look after them, and the other three days are in daycare. Um, I'll write two thousand words in those days. I very very rarely will skip a chapter unless I'm really stuck. But if I'm but it. If I'm really stuck, then then that means that tends to mean that there's a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's not. I don't tend to get stuck. I tend to just be able to just write it. And my first drafts are like they're not a million miles away from the final thing. When when you read the Justice of Kings, you are reading basically the first draft with a different, longer ending. And I think I put in like one new chapter and toward the the front. So that, that and that was that's the great benefit of having written so much. Yeah. yeah is it's a very smooth process now i don't tend to kind of agonize you know over the creative and oh you know creativity of it and ah the craft you know i just i can literally just sort of sit down and hammer it out um and that's the great benefit of you know i've written 20 or 20 odd books um maybe more than that now um and so it has just become a, a very kind of smooth well-oiled writing machine for me yeah. um and i love i know i love it and i love the process but um and was, yeah, it, was it was it different doing it this time with an editor you know having someone send you notes back that you because but obviously before your books you just it was just you whereas now you've got someone to bounce stuff back and forth and get notes from and stuff it, when i yeah and it was the same when i was working actually so when i was drafting you know pleadings or whatever for you know litigation i would find i would get to a point where I've, i think right i've taken this as far as i can um and now i need external input and it was the same with writing books two and three of empire of the wolf i kind of i got it to a place where i was like i mean i could spend another you know five months agonizing over this but realistically yeah. that's that's wasted effort what i'm going to do is i'm going to get it to like 80 percent, and then i'm going to send it off knowing that it's not like all the way yeah. there but it's most yeah. of the way there yeah. um yeah. and then i will because my i have uh, my my attention span is just not good enough to do like multiple so recently i had a conversation with my agent because he provided comments on books one and two like editorial comments on books yeah. one and two and i said to him i said i can't do it i can't do another round for book three like i i've got i write the book draft one i have a couple of mates who read it i let them read like the alpha draft and then i'll make their changes and my changes together that's mm -hmm. draft two and then another and then what was happening was my agent was then reading it so then there was another, yeah. so that was draft three, and then my editor editors were reading it. So it was draft four. So I was 
utterly sick of the book by the end yeah. like utterly utterly sick and i said one of these phases has got to go um in fact it used to be one even more than that because i would do me then i would do the beta readers and then i would do you know my agent and then it would be the editor and that so me again so it used to be too long so i've i've yeah. tried to kind of really kind of streamline that process now because a lot of it's a lot of it's just um it's there's some it's just wasted effort like you're you're spending too much time and effort for minimal yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. i'm I'm not a perfectionist when mm-hmm. in my writing like i the plot has to all hang together but like I, I am not the ones that once the book is finished needs to be in the right place. no yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah, I, sometimes i finish a paragraph and i think ah, that's not my best work but like it's it's fine <laughs> you know i know do. that my <laughs> It'll do. It'll, yeah, it's not to undiscerning readers. The um, <laughs> you know, it's good. I know that my default prose is is of an acceptable quality, so I don't I don't agonise over it at all. Yeah. Um, we work off with you know friends and colleagues who absolutely do, and everyone's slightly different. Um, so it is a different process, but it's and it's useful knowing that there's that safety net for sure. Um, and I do tend to be a little over aligned on the copy editor. The copy editor, because of course there's the editor, but then there's a copy editor as well. Yeah. yeah. And they, the first one I had was extremely thorough, and I found that had a very uh, frustrating process <clears throat> because I thought this is not necessary. Like you're going, this is way too much detail. Um, I think the one that really stuck in my crawl was um, so the, I don't know if you remember this, but in book one, um, Helena is uh, she's uh, she gets knocked out by a sword, and she wakes up in in the in the sort of infirmary. And uh, because it's a head injury and she's concussed, she's sick. She vomits into a bowl. And the line and the comment was, um, you haven't established that there's a bowl uh, in this scene. I thought, I don't need to do that. That's, <laughs> that's, that is too much. <laughs> and, and, it was, and it was stuff like that. And, I, and it was all the way through. And I thought, never, I'm not doing this again. Um, but of course, and then of course, but there was some kind of cosmic justice because then of course, for book two, it was very hands off. I think there were like four comments in the whole thing, and I was like, "Well, now I'm picking up errors." Yeah. And I don't, you know. <laughs> so now, so now I'm having to kind of do your job for you. I'm, Come on, yeah. Now I'm having to do the, the hard work again, and that's your job doing the hard work. So it's it's about it's certainly a balancing act, and um, you know, it's everybody's human, right? You know, it's um, these stuff always slips through, and it's and it, it's always remarkable. I think about how many people read the the Justice of Kings, um, you know. A dozen, and yeah. uh, and, and stuff still it slips through, yeah. slip through the net. Like it's yeah. it's impossible. Um, you know, it's impossible to catch them all, yeah. like Pokemon. Um, but yeah, no, it is different. But I've got a good working relationship with with my editor. Um, editor was two. It's always it's always two. This orbit works across the UK and the US, but the the US editor is more of an eminence Greece. I don't really speak to them directly. I just all of my communications comes through James in, in London. Um. But uh, yeah, I've got I've got a good working relationship with him, and um, he's a, he's very much like you know it's your story. I strongly recommend that you listen to what I say, but you don't have to. And um, yeah. we have we haven't had any kind of big sticking points yet. Um, and he's very upfront. Um, I, I'm I'm certain that my editor have ha- has had bad experiences with authors in the past because he is the master at managing expectations. He will couch absolutely everything. Like we're trying to pitch a new series. This one I was telling you about the, the follow-on trilogy, yeah. which which hasn't sold yet, um, and uh, well, obviously we're pitching into we're contractually obliged to pitch to Orbit, and um, and so James has had a look at it and he said, um, 
yes, you know, it's, it's good. I like it. I like the idea. And I don't like this bit, but generally it's, it's really great. And then he'll spend like a paragraph saying, but of course we haven't done a deal. Um, and, and, we, and we may never, I mean, it may never do one. You know? <laughs> so, you know, feel free to write it. I love it. But, you know, on the understanding that this may never be published by us. Um, and I'm like, I get it. I understand. <laughs> like, I, I, I appreciate you managing my expectations, but I do truly appreciate that this is not a done deal. And I just know that somewhere at some point in time, someone has taken some throwaway remark he's made as <laughs> absolute gospel it. truth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And has pinned a writing career on it. And he's like, never again. <laughs> <laughs> I've quit my job. I need this book. Exactly that. So, so um, <laughs> exactly the, the, the next book is out uh, next year. Is it? Is it February mm. next year? Yeah, uh, the uh, Val- of, Valentine's Day. Yeah, February. Yeah. Turn of Faith. Um, do you want to tell yes. us quickly a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tyranny of Faith is, is obviously the direct sequel to The Justice of Kings, so it follows off almost, I mean, it's temporally and within the book terms is about one, two weeks removed, but I mean, it's it's pretty much, it could be the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so each book is very much the the continuation of um, the, the previous one. It's it's one story told across three books. Um, yeah. I really, really like The Tyranny of Faith. I think... Um, and I don't say that about all my books, you know, and I fully acknowledge that many of them are rubbish, but I think Terry of Faith is really good. Um, I I think people it's it's a bit it's a broadening of scope. You know, it's it's my books follow the sort of your classic kind of Amon Hen, Helmsteep, Pelinor Fields kind of escalation, escalatory yeah. kind of stakes. And so um it is a, it is an escal I, I weirdly I always think book twos tend to get short shrift in, in, in they tend to be a bit maligned book twos of trilogies i actually think that my book twos are always my my favorite in a, in a given trilogy um the same with the art of war and um it's i think it'll be the same with this one as well not to say book three is rubbish but i think book two is is my favorite personal favorite um it's in, it's important yeah exactly that yeah i i do think it's and it's it's got you know it's we go to sova so the capital of the empire so there's you know lots of time spent there it's got another investigation in it so if you liked the kind of investigative aspect of justice of kings there's another one of those this time it's an abduction it's the abduction of the second in line to the the throne so he's a young boy who gets um you know plucked off the streets of um of sova at a time when it's very restless there's lots of nervous energy in the in the city and um yeah the the Molinar patricians, the sort of these agitating political faction are kind of becoming more emboldened and the Templars are on the southern frontier and they're kind of expanding. And so we're kind of, there's a lot, a little bit more magic and a little bit more kind of horror in it as well. Um, you know, there's a few horror elements. So I'd, I try to like make the magic quite frightening and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a bit, um, there's a high barrier to entry to the magic use. So, and a high energy cost. So I've, a little bit more magic and um, you know a little bit more fighting and, and, and it's all, that, all that good stuff. Um, but I'm really pleased with it. I think um, I think people are going to like it. I'm just hoping that obviously you get a drop off in every book in a trilogy. You know, you you only keep about two thirds to three quarters of the readership through each one. So I'm I'm hoping that enough people are pulled through to can kind of really enjoy it. But um, yeah. but yeah, it's in February next year, uh, Valentine's Day next year. Say, and the cover is absolutely stunning as well. I think Martina yeah. Fatchkova has done a really wonderful job of that so i think it's gonna draw a lot of eyeballs which is great nice and was it was it harder or easier to write the second book you know now you've got this kind of established world and set up much it's always much easier um because you're just book one is is laying all the track and then yeah. book two is just you know you're just carrying on like the world is, is built the characters are established you know i'm i'm 
I'm still building the characters and I do dedicate still like a lot of word count to kind of developing the characters in interesting ways in book two. Um, but I, I know them, you know, I know yeah. them, I know them better. I know what they're like. And so I don't have to consciously think about it as much. Um, so it's always easier. And book three was even easier than that. You know, it's, as I say, there are three books telling the same one, telling one story. So it's, you know, it's uh, a book two was much longer than book one, actually. Uh, it was about another 30 or 40,000 words, but book three, shorter than book two, which is a, which is a first probably in all of the entire genre. So I think it will grow slightly in, in the editorial process, but um, at the moment it's about 10,000 words shorter, which I don't know if it's a good sign or a bad sign. Uh, <laughs> Well, well, it, it means I think that you know where you're going with it at least, which is yeah. not well, that's, the case. I like to know? think so. Yeah, no. Well, that's it. It doesn't suffer the book three blows by any yeah. stretch of the imagination, which is uh, you know I I do write quite taut books, but it, that's mainly because I don't like. It, it's interesting what you say there about the the you know finding it easier as you go. I think that I'm guessing that that is partly because of your you know real planning process because we have spoken to the other fantasy mm. authors that mm-hmm. have said that they find the especially the middle book the hardest to write because you kind of have boxed yourself in if you like in terms of yeah yeah what you can and can't do and things like that I'm, and i'm certain they, that's right. i think they were slightly less on the planning side of things so i wonder if that mm. that planning that you've laid down in advance really helps you sort of it absolutely does through the, it... the next books it absolutely does and i i think i when i don't plan a I, of course, I don't. You know, I'm not like I've not got some kind of Excel spreadsheet right no, now. Yeah. This sentence is, you know, it's it's obviously we're still. I'm just doing the broad strokes within each chapter. But I, you know, I'm writing a contemporary novel now, a sort of crime novel set in Sydney in this kind of three months okay. where I've got okay. nothing to do, and um, I haven't planned it as much, and I'm really struggling, you know, to get the words down on the page, and I'm keep having to f- keep finding myself going back to the plan and developing the plan. And I don't, I think when you do just kind of wing a novel um, and then you do, and what tends to, if you're winging a trilogy, you tend, I think, to have an idea of how the whole thing ends um, and you tend to have an idea of the first book. But I can absolutely see how people come unstuck in that kind of the doldrums of the middle book. Um, But I always, yeah, I always plan. And I think without a plan, I just... I really slow down. I really grind to a halt. I like, I like knowing where I'm going. And as soon as I don't, um, and and people, you know, it's all horses, of course. As people have different you know, processes, and I'm not disparaging the, the the pantses at all. You know, it's just a different way of doing things. But I, um, I, I couldn't just. I I think it's a very wasteful process as well. When I see, when I see people talking about. The pantsing, you know, which is a lot. I'm all, I find I think I'm outnumbered. I don't think many people, well, certainly many people don't confess to being a planner. Maybe it's not cool. Um, but, uh, you know, people, maybe people like to think, oh, it's sort of very debonair exactly. and dashing to, you know, just, oh, yeah, it's, I just, yeah. just winged an old. You, you have that creative ability just to sit down and just. Yeah, exactly. A, yeah. I'm sure lots of them are lying about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think it's true for a lot of them. But I, when I see, I won't name any names, but I, I've seen, you know, authors talk about their writing processes on on social media and they're just like oh yeah and then i'll so i'll write like half a million words and then i'll, I'll and then i'll cut out three hundred thousand of those and i'll write and i'm thinking well, what are you doing you know, like, yeah. you're just deleting and i end up with one yeah that's it you know and i think it's, it's such a wasteful process and i you know i'll write a book the first draft and it's pretty much there like and then i you know i edit it obviously but it's you know you're there yeah. 
and so I think you know, and if you write and you work very quickly, it's less of a problem, um, of course. But I, I think it's a very, I think it's a, it can be a very wasteful process, certainly. And and you can you write yourself into all kinds of corners as well. Like yeah. a, a few times, you know, I, I've kind of I've kind of winged. I ended up having to backtrack on a, a major plot of book two because I'd kind of I'd really just got stuck with it, like completely stuck in a dead end, and I was hating writing it. And I hate deleting, but the, the corollary of being a, a planner or certainly being me is I hate deleting stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have a real aversion to cutting work out, out if, once it's down on the page. Um, but I had to take out about seven or 8,000 words and it absolutely killed me because it just, it's such a reduction in effort. Like that's yeah. like, you know, that's a week yeah. or two weeks of work just completely wasted, um, which isn't true, but that's how I see it. And uh, and so I think, yeah, it's it's, it's it feels like a, it's a baffling and, and bizarre process to me. I don't, and I'm not entirely sure that everybody who says that they are a panther actually is a one in the truest sense of the word, but uh, yeah. maybe I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> and would you ever want to write something outside a book form, you know, a graphic novel or a screenplay perhaps? I would love to, is the short answer. I um, I read not a huge number of graphic novels or you know comics or whatever you want to call them um i but i i do read some and i take a massive amount of inspiration from them and i read a um a series a few years ago called profit um and it was published by image comics um okay. and it was it it was wonderfully of like just obscure opaque and impenetrable yeah. and and baffling and it was and it was the artwork was called but the, the conceit of it was I think it was a I think it was a series in the nineties, and then this was a continuation that was set like ten thousand years later. But a, a guy wakes up on Earth ten thousand years after, you know, whatever it was, and it's all changed, and he has to make this journey. And it and, and it, I highly recommend it. And it unfolds over kind of five of these collections, and it's it's just a wonderful. It's a kind of like if you ever read any of the Ian Banks book novels or the culture novels, or yeah. be about Scottish, so presumably you absolutely have. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, yeah, or Ian McLeod, uh, Ken McLeod, sorry. Um, yeah. But um, they, it's got that kind of just weird quality mm-hmm. to it. It's wonderful. I really love it. I love the artwork. I love everything about it. It's, it's really, I'm struggling to describe it because it defines explanation, but. I would. I had an idea. I've written the book. It's it's sitting on my hard drive. I don't know what to do with it yet. It's about a um, a, a space. It sounds very pulpy, but it's not. Um, it's about a space fighter pilot. Um, he was in this kind of twenty year war, and um, now exists in this kind of hermitage on an alien world that was ravaged by a military virus that's forced the population to become itinerant to avoid um, these kind of what they call the plague winds. So the kind of the trade winds that kind of circle around the world um, carry the virus. And so they have, the aliens have to constantly move That's to avoid cool. virus. Okay. Those, those who survive. And so he's a human diplomat to this planet, but of course they don't really want a, a diplomat. So he just kind of exists in this, this hermitage. And um, this, as, as the story unfolds, we get flashbacks to his kind of fighter pilot career. Um, and we start to work out what happened, how this world came to be the way it did, why he is the way that he is um and it's all very dark and 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 it's a very ian banks it's a very kind of use of weapons type type book which is my favorite book in the world um it's my homage to to ian banks he's my favorite author but that wasn't clear by the way (laughs) um and so but i think that story would work wonderfully in graphic novel form because it's all you know vistas of these alien landscapes very and the you know the the fighter jet and so 
I'm I'm toying. I God knows how I would even begin to go about this, but I am toying with that idea. So um, the answer is yes, but um, I, it's still so early in my writing career. I'm just I I have so many ideas and things competing for you know, limited time and and you know brain space. I have to kind of allocate carefully yeah, how I yeah. approach. But you know, I'd love to get into that as well because uh, I think there's some some such cool stuff out there. Excellent. What was the last book that you read? The last book that I read was uh, The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien, which is a Vietnam War uh, memoir. Um, And uh, it's... uh, if you ever watch any kind of documentaries on the Vietnam War or read any book, he's one of he tends to be one of the talking heads. Um, right. He's a very eloquent. He's a Harvard graduate. He's a very eloquent writer, and he wrote a series of books about it. and And this was the first, although I've read the other three, but this is the first one. So, um, yeah, I read that recently, which was uh, just very good. Nice. Uh, what about the last film that you watched? Last film that I watched. Oh God! I was thought you were going to ask me what the last TV program I watched because I was going to say well, that, that's coming up. Don't worry. I was coming up. Okay. Well, <laughs> forget that I said that. Well, um, what is the last movie I watched? That's a really good question. It was. Um, oh, actually, I'll tell you what it was. It was Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> the original or the live action? The, the, no, the original and the live action. I watched. I then my boys watch a Disney film on the days that they're at home in the afternoon. I tried. I tried to keep their them focused on a few you know one or two movies you know like yeah. um not a day i mean you know a sort of a smaller pool of movies i don't yeah, like yeah. the idea of them watching endless you know different programs every day like when i was growing up i had a new hope on vhs which i must have watched about a hundred yeah. you know a hundred times yeah. and that was you had about three or four vhs's of which that was one <laughs> and so i don't like the idea of my boys just having unlimited netflix and disney plus i try and kind of keep them focused on the classics so it was it was um it was like Buzz Lightyear was one, and uh, we watched Beauty and the Beasts again uh, the other day. So I, I watch way more kids' movies than I do grown-up movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, what, what what is the last TV show that you watched? It is it's Andor. I'm watching the Star Wars program Andor, yeah, which I nice. think is uh, which I think is absolutely brilliant. It is, um, it is amazing. It's it's truly it's truly it's almost yeah. not like Star Wars, which in a way is. I think that's why it's good. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, I was crushed by how bad Kenobi was. Yeah, we spoke before about really, really bad. Very, very bad. No, no direction. Just obviously, no. just no idea what they were doing with it at all. Yeah. And um, I loved prequels. You know, I know that they're much maligned, but they were so important to me when I was growing up. Um, and so, you know, and I'm aware of their faults, of course, but. Um, you know, I love them as, as you know, yeah, yeah. nostalgia or anything else. And so I was so excited for Kenobi and I was trying not to get too excited because I thought the Mandalorian was very meh and I didn't watch Boba Fett at all. Um, and so I thought that it's been, and I thought the sequels are a bit rubbish as well. So um, I was looking forward to some kind of good old prequels nostalgia and I thought they just absolutely destroyed it. Yeah, I thought it was so cack-handed the whole thing um and and or uh, tony gilroy wrote and or so if yeah. you ever saw the yeah, movie yeah. michael clayton um yeah. which is a fantastic movie I love michael uh, it's a brilliant film and uh you can see it's it's the same style of writing and the reason everything everything is just is so good that no characters no actors who are off their game like everyone is just and it's got that wonderful um the verisimilitude to the dialogue yeah. you know uh-huh. it, it sounds like what people 
would talk yeah. like and i think that's it's it's, it's just such a oh, i could talk about it for a very long time but i won't but um I've, I've not but I think, it, so i'm very excited though i've heard nothing about yeah, it. yeah yeah it's yeah. it's a really nice return to 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 form for the the star wars it, it's the universe. direction i think they should really try and go you know if they're wanting to tell more stories yeah. in that universe it's yeah, move away from the skywalker clan yeah and, it's and a much more oh, grounded definitely. gritty story that's that's yeah. more interesting. Well, I thought with the se- sorry, I, know, I don't know how much time you have. But I thought with the um, with the sequels, so because I, I, if I was to write the sequels, and I'm not, I only know the the main stuff. I don't haven't read any of the the books, so yeah. I don't know the expanded universe at all. But to my mind, when you write, the, the, if you're writing the sequels, I think right. Well, so they blew up the Death Star or Death Star Two, or whatever, and Return of the Jedi, right? But you would have the the remnants of the, of the Empire, like everywhere, right? You'd have mm-hmm. it's still you'd have entire fleets of Star Destroyers yeah, and everything. Yeah. So. I I would have thought that they would have basically the sequels would have been reforming the the Jedi as kind of international peacekeeping force. So you'd have had some you know people being trained up in that, and then you'd have been going after and destroying and rebuilding the Galactic Republic and going after and destroying the old. And that was a very rich scene, I thought, to kind of mine. And then they just kind of thought, oh, we're going to do a new hope again, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Jump, jump straight <laughs> but, to but, having a ready made. Yeah, 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 but just a, a crap version of it, and, and uh, I didn't they didn't get any better after that. So. Um, oh. I was very disappointed, but but Andor is excellent. Um, awesome. It's really, really very good. So something to look forward to. Well, the the, the very, very last thing we always do um, is a super quick fire, either or. And I always say there's okay. no right answer here apart from one. But we'll start off okay. with uh, sci-fi or fantasy. Oh, God. I mean, I want to say sci-fi. I feel like I should say fantasy, but uh, no, for me, it's sci-fi. Nice. Um, TV or cinema? Cinema. Uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Unfortunately, Early Bird. I don't want to be, but uh, we're <laughs> up at 5.30 with the boys every morning. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. Music or no music when you're writing? Music. Um, never used to, but uh, but now I always have it on. Okay. And I'm going to go for audiobook or ebook. Oh, I don't really do either. Um but I will say audiobook. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing because Tarek is desperate to get people to say ebook, and he changes so it up: to, real book, yeah. ebook, audiobook, ebook. We used to have real book. And no or one picks ebook. Everyone picked real book because ebook. Yeah, everyone's like, "Oh, it smells." I love smelling the paper because they're weirdos. And then I was like, well, "Okay, well, we make audiobook or ebook." And folk now are still big audiobook, so ebook's just this. But I, I don't. I. Before we moved to Sydney, I bought a Kindle because I thought, well, you know, we're going to be moving around a lot in Sydney, and um, I won't have a big shelf space for anything for loads of books. So I buy, I bought a Kindle, and I just found, even with the supposedly, you know, technology, whatever it was, I was still just waking up in the morning with extremely dry eyes, and it was like it was like staring at laptop screen for like the last half an hour of the day. Yeah. Um, and so I went back to paper, and I don't, I don't have against anything against audiobooks at all, and there's that whole very strange twisted debate about <clears throat> whether listening to an audiobook is reading, I know, which it's, I it's find. Actually reading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely bizarre. Um, what people will talk about on Twitter, but uh, I just, I just, I just don't really do it. I, I, I don't have the time to do it. I think it takes, it's, which is weird because it takes longer to read a book, but I, I feel like reading a book in the evening is something I have already built into my routine. Mm-hmm. Whereas I wouldn't, lie in bed and listen to an audiobook and yeah. then I've, I just I have nowhere else to sort of fit it which is which sounds a ridiculous thing to say because it's not like every minute of my day is accounted for but I um I just I never find the time for them which is really bad because I'm paying audible $15 a month for the privilege of not using it <laughs> next time you're watching what, 
some kind kind of kids movie just slip a your pod. Good, shouldn't I? Yeah, just yeah. I should. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I have to listen to this now. <laughs> See, even when you change the question, Tarek, people are never going to pick ebook. That's that's your problem. I think I need to work out. I think it's going to be ebook or just a book covered in shit or something. I, I, I can't see how I can possibly win at this point. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but also, uh, yeah, he mentioned Andor there. I don't know if you've been watching no, that. No, it's still it's really great. Yeah, I've heard great things about it. everyone. It's, it sounds like a really nice kind of like a gritty, un-Star Warsy Star Wars in a way. Yeah, totally. It's like it's definitely set in the universe, but it's such a different type of story from anything that you've ever seen before even things like mandalorian um are still very much star yeah, wars especially you know, that got more star wars as it went along yeah. i felt by the end of it uh-huh. whereas this is very you know it could be any sort of grounded sci-fi type stuff oh, going on nice, so it's nice. really worth watching um but uh, anyway thanks for thanks to richard for coming on to the podcast um i thought it was interesting as well what he said about the you know, how he got onto the Sunday Times bestseller know, list, which is obviously it? an achievement, but it's interesting that when your book is released and what it's up against and stuff obviously makes a difference in, in all of that sort of thing. But yeah, it's it, it's it's knowing that it's, I think I'd always thought it was, you need to sell millions and hundreds of thousands yeah. of books. You know, it was only the top of the top that got into the top 10 bestseller list. But actually there's there's ways that you can still get onto it if you if you know with a bit of luck and timing etc there's other factors at play other than just pure sales as I, I suppose and and once you get onto, onto that list it must be such a massive boost in terms of exposure and readers etc and, and you can have that on your cover from you know sunday time it's been yeah selling. absolutely Fantastic. brilliant I mean, like i say it's still a massive achievement oh, it, is, absolutely. it was interesting it was interesting just hearing how it happened for him but uh, yeah thanks to richard for coming on and obviously you can grab the justice of kings uh, in your local bookshop or we'll put a link in the podcast description and obviously the second book is coming out in february so really looking forward to that one yeah uh, and we've got another great guest next week yeah next week we're chatting with Kirsty Eyre, who has written a number of comedy books, which were, went down very well. Her initial book, Cowgirl, won the uh, Comedy Women in Print Award, and since then she's written as Ginger Jones, and she's a food-based pun novel. Yes, the first exactly. one, which is You Had Me at Halloumi, and then uh, next year is What the Focaccia, which I'm very much enjoying these. Puns. Yeah, I know, I know. We uh, we chat to her a bit about that and about possible future titles as well next week. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a fun chat, so uh, please do tune in for that one. And before we go, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, please do take time to rate and review it on apple Podcasts or whatever your favorite podcast app is um apart from anything else it's really great to know that people are enjoying the podcast but also it helps us to continue to get great guests on the podcast as well yeah and of course if anyone wants to get in touch they can send us a tweet in the twitter machine which is at uk page one or they can send us an email which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk or on mastodon get in touch with us i know it's so long uh uh Right, we're on writing.exchange and we're at page one pod there. So yeah, if you know how to use Mastodon, that'll make sense. <laughs> if you don't, then it won't. I'm but holding we'll it for five. We'll put a link. Yeah, exactly. We'll put a link in the in the description. But otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode. See you later. 